you are listening to the Sermon Podcast at Bethel. We're an evangelical covenant church located in western Wisconsin outside of Ellsworth, and you can find out more about us on our website, BethelCov.org. My name is Todd Speaker. I'm the pastor here, and thank you for listening. Amen. Amen. Well, if you would uh, grab your Bibles and open them, we're going to be in the book of Luke, and I think we're in chapter 2, but let me make sure. Yeah, Luke chapter 2. All right. I'm trying to, something a little different this week, at, at our council meeting, we were talking about ways that we can better uh, integrate everything that we're doing in our different rooms, uh, different places, online, and in the parking lot, so I'm trying, you guys will notice how this goes, I'm trying to have my phone here so I can see uh, what you all are saying in the comments, <laughs> um, so if, if you know me very well, you know this may be a total train wreck, so, <laughs> uh, but we're we're going to do our best, and, and as, I, as I look down, I just noticed a prayer request I'll share. Um, I'll be praying for Diane Anderson. Uh, she um, went uh, out to Michigan to prepare for her dad's funeral, and it looks like she's uh, caught the coronavirus up there, too, so keep uh, Diane in your prayers. Um, uh, so what you'll notice, it's not, I'm not texting, I promise, you know. <laughs> um, so today, uh, we're continuing to look at uh, uh, Luke 1 and 2, and how uh, uh, the author of the Gospel of Luke and the Holy Spirit at work in bringing this account together and real events that are being recorded, how all those things come together to show the ways that God brings light into places and time situations of deep darkness. The, the verse uh, that it reminds me of is, is in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2. Um, the prophecy is that the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. And, and as I've mentioned before, our scripture, one of the things that uh, is so compelling to me about God's word in scripture is how unafraid it is of noticing deep darkness. Uh, the Bible um, Oftentimes, you know, the cliche for Christianity is that we're a group of people that pretend that everything's great all the time, even when it's not. Uh, but the Bible is not like that at all. <laughs> the Bible is quite comfortable talking about the darkness in, in the world. And so, uh, and, and it, what it likes to do, uh, what Scripture likes to do, is to show us uh, both the darkness and then what God does in the middle of it. And it's uh, rarely ever a quick fix or an easy answer. Uh, it's, uh, but, uh, but God works. Um, and so that's what we're, that's what we're looking at. And as I was thinking about this week, um, something that's becoming increasingly clear to me, this is just my, uh, my opinion, and you can, you can challenge or disagree with this, but, uh, my opinion, and I've noticed it a lot in the last several months, is that, uh, people, human beings, all of us, are, are really good at correctly identifying problems, I think all of us um, are really good at noticing 
darkness. Uh, just like scripture doesn't shy away from darkness, I think everyone in this room, everyone online, um, uh, whether you uh, do this as a part of your life or not, uh, we're all really good at finding the things in our world that don't work. And, and, it's, and it's, there's nothing wrong with that. It's, it's good to be able to name problems, but uh, what I've noticed is that often uh, because people are much better at naming problems than they are at naming solutions, um, we, we get confused, I do anyway, uh, is when I find someone who correctly names a problem, I'm willing to believe that they uh, have the correct solution. And because it's much easier for human beings to find and correctly identify problems, and much more difficult for human beings to find and implement solutions to problems, um, happens is if, if we find the right person that names a problem that's real to us, whoever it is, wherever we're listening to them, and we say, yes, that's a problem, we're ready to come along for a ride on the solution. Uh, you know, if someone can correctly name the darkness, we're, we're ready uh, for them to tell us where the light is, and often human beings are much better at correctly identifying darkness and not nearly as good at seeing light. And so, uh, and, and you, can, you can disagree with me on that or not, that's, that's totally fine. Uh, but today, our, our focus, uh, the story of, of the gospel, Luke 2, uh, turns the focus on someone. Um, if you've been with us the last two weeks, we talked about Zechariah. He's a priest in Jerusalem. And Mary, uh, she's a nobody from Nazareth. And so this week, um, we're going to turn away from their dark situations, uh, and we're going to turn towards... Uh, uh, someone who really mattered uh, in Jesus' day. Um, probably the most important person in the world. Uh, if you asked anybody to name who mattered more than anybody else, this would be the most important person in the whole world. And this person, um, <clears throat> his name is, is Caesar Augustus. And most people in his day thought he and his life and his work might be a solution to some of the darkness in their world. This is a man that many people believed brought light into darkness. And it's really interesting that our scripture bothers uh, to look at this man, um, because, uh, and it'll become clear later. Uh, so, so this is who we're talking about. Uh, this guy is named Caesar Augustus, and he is um, the ruler of the greatest nation on earth. Um, in fact, the way that Romans would have looked at it is he's the ruler of the only nation on earth, the whole known world was ruled by this wonderful, uh, wonderful, uh, interesting guy uh, named Caesar Augustus, and he ruled Israel, so, so God's people that carried forth the Old Testament, Mary and Joseph and, and Zechariah and Elizabeth and all the people that worship God in the temple, they were all ruled over by uh, this man, Caesar Augustus, and uh, Caesar Augustus, during his life, when we look at, at history, had all kinds of titles associated with him that might sound familiar to us, especially in the Christmas season. So, so to start, uh, Augustus, his name Augustus is, is the name that he got when he became Caesar. They give you a, a new name, isn't that cool? And Augustus just means uh, venerable or worthy of praise, worthy of worship. Uh, this man uh, was also called the son of God in his day uh, because he was the adopted son of Julius Caesar, a man who was deified in the Roman world. He was thought to be a god. Uh, not only uh, was uh, he called son of God and worthy of worship, um, people referred to Caesar Augustus because of the light that he was bringing in his day as, as the savior of the world. People would have said, uh, Augustus, 
saved the world. How, how crazy is that? Um, beyond that, people talked about him as the one who brought peace to all the earth. And so if you were walking uh, the earth in uh, the time that Jesus was born, and somebody was talking about someone who was venerable, uh, the son of God, savior of the world, bringer of peace on earth, um, if you didn't, um, well, really, if you lived anywhere, you would know who they were talking about, and the person they're talking about is the great Caesar Augustus. My favorite uh, parallel is this, that when uh, Caesar's armies would go uh, visit your town, uh, coming back from the battlefront on the front lines, you know, the wild waste, you know, they'd come back in victory, and ahead of uh, his legions, and if Caesar was with them or not, uh, there'd be a, a herald, somebody uh, announcing what was going on, who was coming, so you could get ready. And, and the word that they would use as they're coming into town, the herald, the armies behind them, is, is <clears throat> excuse me, is euangelion, um, uh, which is the Greek word <clears throat> that means good news. And it's the Greek word that our Bible uh, translates as gospel. So if you lived uh, in Jesus' day, and Caesar came to your town, you would hear of someone who is venerable and worthy of worship, who is the son of God, the savior of the world, bringer of peace on earth, and in front of him, everywhere he goes, is good news, the, the gospel. And, uh, and the first time I heard about that, it just shocked me, because of course, these are all the words that we use to talk about who Jesus is, what his life means to us and our world. So, so the first people who read Luke's gospel, the first people that met Jesus, they knew all about uh, Caesar Augustus. They knew who was in charge when Jesus was born. Uh, so, so it's really important as we read the scripture to know that Luke doesn't mention Caesar Augustus because people didn't uh, needed to know when Jesus was born, okay? Uh, or who was in charge when Jesus was born. Luke doesn't mention Caesar Augustus because nobody knew who he was. Um, uh, there's, there's a point behind it. Uh, so, so, here, so here we go. We're going to take a look. Luke chapter 2. Uh, <clears throat> so now that you know who Caesar is, uh, let's see. Luke chapter 2, verse 1. In those days, uh, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census would be taken of the entire Roman world. Uh, this was the first census that took place while Quirinius was the governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. Uh, so, uh, bringing what we've already talked about, this is how uh, people would have heard this, that the, the Son of God, the King of the world, the bringer of peace, issues a decree that all the world should be counted. And, and censuses are important uh, because it has to do with how uh, people are taxed in the Roman world. The person that gets to decide uh, who's counted decides who counts, don't they? And so everyone, uh, from priests like Zechariah in Jerusalem to nobodies like Mary and Joseph, Caesar decrees, and the people, they march. It's time to go. Joseph pulls up his family, his pregnant wife, who's going to give birth at any moment. This shows how you really couldn't resist something like this, right? And he gets on the road, puts her on a donkey, and they go uh, to Joseph's hometown, Bethlehem, uh, to be counted. Because when the Caesar tells you to count, when the son of God worthy of worship, when the person with all the guys with spears and swords tells you to go to your hometown, you, you go to your hometown, right? And so they do, they march. They heed his order because uh, they know who's in charge. And Luke puts this here to remind us of the same thing 
that when Jesus was born, the Son of God, the great Caesar Augustus, bringer of peace on earth and good news, was ruling and ordering people around. The whole world moves when he speaks. So it continues on in verse 4. It says, uh, so Joseph, he, he went, right? How high? He went up from the town of Nazareth. The long and the line. Uh, he was there. He went there to register with Mary, who was there the time for the baby to be born. First born. And play. There was no guest room available for them. Um, We've mentioned this before. You know, nothing in Scripture is there on accident. When the Bible was written, it wasn't today when you could just uh, write out like pages and pages and pages like me and, <laughs> and not pay a price. It was expensive. And so every word in the Gospels was put there on purpose and at great cost. And so Luke wants us to know that more important than anything else he could have said in that moment and, and inspired by the Holy Spirit, Luke wants us to know that at the command of the great Caesar Augustus, Mary and Joseph travel to Bethlehem. He wants us to know that when they get there, um, uh, you know, most likely, uh, uh, you know, people talk about the inn, there's no room at the inn. Most likely in the ancient world of Bethlehem, there probably wasn't like a, like a motel six. It was probably uh, friends or family members of Joseph. But when, when they arrive, uh, there's no room among Joseph's relatives. There's no guest room available. Uh, because they're already full of people. And so Mary and Joseph, you know the story, they, they have to bed down with the animals. And Jesus is born there with the animals and laid in a manger. Uh, and it's interesting. Um, it's important to Luke, it's important to our story uh, to record Caesar's commands and his, his birth because Luke will go on to argue, and this is the point that this gospel tries to make, Luke will go on to argue, of course, right, that the great Caesar Augustus, the bringer of good news, peace, salvation, who is believed to be God's own son, king of the known world, Luke will go on to argue that Caesar Augustus isn't those things. The point that he'll make is that Caesar Augustus is not the king of the world, is not the prince of peace, the author of salvation, or the bringer of good news. No, Luke will go on to argue that it's not the man who claps his hands and everybody goes to their hometown that rules the world, but instead, it's uh, the baby. The baby who is commanded around by Caesar and laid in a manger of hay is, in fact, the king of the world, the son of God, the savior, the prince of peace, and the light in the darkness, and that the true good news, the true euangelion, isn't that Caesar conquered another province. The true gospel is that this little tiny baby laid in a manger of hay uh, is, is God, and that Caesar, despite his claims, is not God. That in the deep darkness of the greatest empire the world had ever known, God's own light shined and was not overcome. And that, my friends, I, and, and if you believe that to be true, maybe it doesn't sound so impossible <laughs> to convince. But, but that, my friends, is a tall order. Because you've got a man that controls the levers of power in the whole world, and you've got a teeny, tiny baby who's not even high enough in the family relationships to get a decent room to be born in. It's a tall order. Because Jesus doesn't look like a king laying in a manger, and he doesn't look like a king hanging on the cross either to us, does he? 
No. And, and so Luke will spend his whole gospel and the whole book of Acts uh, trying to make this point, trying to show that this little baby and eventually this man that hangs on a Roman cross and walks out of a tomb, that this one is the one true king, and that everyone else who claim to hold the levers of the world and of power are not. And it starts right here. Because Jesus wants us to see Caesar's hand directing Mary and Joseph to Bethlehem to have the baby. Luke knows, uh, as, he, he, as he shows us, uh, Caesar moving Mary and Joseph from Nazareth all the way to Bethlehem. Um, Luke knows God's words recorded in the book of Micah. He knows that uh, God's word says that out of Bethlehem, I called my son. And so were it not for uh, Caesar's decree, uh, the prophecy, it, it doesn't come true. And, and this is no, no crazy, amazing, huge revelation, but it ought to make you wonder. It ought to make us wonder, and that's why Luke puts it here. He wants to make us wonder who's really in charge here. Is it Caesar or, or is something else happening? Is it Caesar and the kind of power that controls and runs the world, or is it someone bigger than him, the true God and king? It, it kind of it, it undermines Caesar in this really subtle way that would have just, like, if you read this in the first century or, or whatever, you'd just be like, oh, man, Caesar's not going to like that, you know? It makes you wonder who rules the world, who rules Caesar. It's It's subtle. It's subversive, but it's exactly what Mary sung about last week, if you watched with us. The proud brought low, the rich sent away empty. Because Luke's gospel will make this argument that it is not Caesar who is God, but Jesus. And he invites his first readers, and he invites us to believe that impossible good news. That impossible good news that Jesus is God and Caesar is not. And I don't know about you, but for me, it turns out it's a really good thing uh, that Luke made that point. Um, I don't know about you, but for me, it turns out it's really difficult, even as a Christian today, maybe even especially as a Christian today, to believe that that's really true and to live life like that's really true. And I, I don't just mean in our head, you know, it's easy to say, oh yeah, God's God, and, and Caesar's not, Jesus is God, Caesar's not. But, but I believe that one of the most difficult things to believe in the whole Bible, in all of Scripture, from, from page one uh, to page the end, <laughs> is that Jesus is really God, and our modern-day Caesars are not. Um, the, the place that... Uh, to me, it comes, becomes clear, but I think it hits every aspect of our life. I think it becomes very clear uh, in, in this country every four years that we don't always really believe this, right? Because every four years in, in this country, we engage in this collective delusion together that the most important events of the world involve who sits at a desk in a building thousands of miles away. Or we convince ourselves that uh, the most important thing in the world is whose flag flies over a faraway nation or, or who our friends, uh, who we and our friends think is the one who, if elected, will bring light into the darkness. 
every uh, four years and more often that we convince ourselves that if we find the right person or the right person has power or we have political power or somebody else does, uh, that our problems will be solved, that our fears will be dealt with, and that we can rally around together finally in a new good world light in the darkness. But I believe that God and his servant Luke, and through the sending of his son Jesus Christ on earth, preserved this story preserved for 2,000 years. I believe that, that God wants us to know something as we read about Caesar Augustus who thought he was the boss. I think God wants us to know that whether uh, we're rejoicing at, at people in political power or, or protesting or lamenting or freaking out or celebrating, that, that whenever we do that, whenever we decide whether it's good or bad, that the whole world hinges on this one person, we're all buying into the same lie. We're all saying the one who has the power is God. And I'll pray to, to God too sometimes, but we know who is Caesar. That the ones who gather this world's kind of power determine whether the world is good or not. And it shows up in, in politics, but it also uh, shows up in, in the wars that we fight, in our relations, in the way we think about people that belong to other nations. But it also shows up when we think um, a boss or a teacher or a pastor or a leader or a partner, or an institution is the root or solution, a uh, root of or solution to the darkness in our own lives. When we think we can fix our problems by finding a new person, we buy in to this lie. Luke knows this story. He would not be surprised. I think if Luke came here today, all kinds of things would blow his mind, but he would not be surprised to find people convinced that whoever holds uh, the power on earth of position and privilege and money is God and God is not. He wouldn't be surprised to hear us believing that because his people believed it too. Because it, it doesn't matter what you think about heaven or hell or, or what God's name is. I think most people are captured by the idea that it's nations and bosses and armies and presidents that determine the course of human history with their power and that the gods are gods in name only. A practical Christian atheism. This story comes as no surprise to Luke, uh, and, and he would see it if he lived here, because it, it begins on page three of the Bible. On page three of the Bible, Adam and Eve decide that they want to be God and not let God be God anymore. Later on in the story of the Tower of Babel, human beings band together to make themselves gods and light in their dark world. Uh, it shows up in the zealots of Jesus' day who thought the only way for God's will to be done was to rise up and seize through violence political power from the Romans. And so I don't care if you're a Babylonian or a Greek or an Israelite, a Phoenician, an American colonist, a Roman, a zealot, a Pharisee, a Whig, a Democrat, a Democratic Republican, a Socialist, a Conservative Republican, or a Liberal. Whatever side you choose uh, to be the, the one who determines if the world is good or not, it is more likely than not that you're tempted to believe this same lie that claws at us all. That we fight to decide who's God over the world. And if they win, the world's going to hell. And if we win, God's kingdom. Luke knows the song, he's heard the story, and so have you, so he mentions it. 
He says, in the days of Caesar Augustus, the venerable bringer of peace and announcer of good news, when Augustus was Caesar, he moves to number the whole world like only a god can. His actions displace and send away the little people to wherever they came from to be counted by the god, and the little, insignificant, unimportant-seeming people like Mary and Joseph are moved by a great god. That's our story. But... But, but it becomes clear as you read Luke that it is not Caesar pulling the strings, but God. It is uh, not the son of the God Caesar who will be remembered as the bringer of peace on earth, is it? No. It is not the Caesar who will define the course of human history from that point on and forever, but the tiny baby born in a cave and laid in a manger because his parents were not high enough on the guest list to find a guest room. That little baby will topple the proud Caesar to the point that we only remember that Quirinius was the governor of Syria and Caesar Augustus was in charge was Jesus was born was because Jesus was born that that little baby will turn the whole world upside down through his death on the cross and resurrection. That not only will he topple Caesar's uh, political power, uh, he'll topple the power of evil and sin and death that are all used in one way or another by human leaders, institutions, and nations. What Luke was saying was radical and crazy then. And it's difficult for us to believe now if we can believe it. That in the deep darkness, in the shadow of the greatest empire on earth, it's not the powerful, the important, and those who claim to solve the world's problems and be light in the darkness, but instead... It's God who shines light in dark places. And the only question is, the only question for us, and our invitation is to decide if we believe that or if we're going to go on believing um, the story of the world. Will we believe the lie uh, humans have told from the beginning or will we um, believe what God has to say? We're invited uh, to... um, uh, the way that we do that in the church, and as Christians have done for centuries, is uh, we, we can do that uh, by praying a prayer, but it's more than praying a prayer. It's more than thinking something's true. Uh, it's actually living as if we believe that to be true, but the, one of the best ways to start is to admit it, uh, to confess our own fallenness, our own sin, our own need, and the ways that we decide that one person or somebody else determines the course of human history, confess the ways that we fall short, put our uh, belief, admit our belief that Jesus is God and Caesar is not, and finally that we turn and allow God to transform us with the Holy Spirit. And so I want to invite you uh, to to do that with me right now. If you've you've never done that before, and if you have, uh, I want to invite you to do it again, because I don't know about you, but I am one that easily forgets what's true. I'm one that's easily tricked by lies at times, and often I need to be reminded of who God is in the middle of dark times. So would you pray with me? Lord God, you are so good. You are so patient. We come before you this morning and we confess our need, our sin, our failure. We give over to you the times that we've let our beliefs about uh, power on this earth uh, trump everything else in our lives, go ahead of everything else in our lives. 
we confess to you the times that we've decided that whoever uh, is our, our teacher or leader determines if the world is good or not. We confess to you, Lord, the relationships that we've sacrificed on the altar of this world's kind of power. We confess that we can't possibly turn to you without you coming to us. We confess our need. Lord, we believe that you sent your son in flesh as a little baby who lived and died and rose again. We believe that he is the king of the world no matter what we think in any given moment or time or place. We believe that you are God with our lips, Lord. Help us to believe it with our hearts. By your Holy Spirit, make us new into people whose lives are governed by you and the work that you're doing in this world turned into the people you want us to be. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. I'd like to invite the worship team to come forward. Uh, Let's uh, praise the true king of the world together. Amen? Amen. Thanks for joining us. You can find out more about our church, our live stream, and our in-person services at BethelCove.org. Thanks and have a great week.